0: Do your own due diligence, form your own judgment, so you can have your independent research done before you decide whether or not this is something that you might consider investing in. And again, don't invest money you can't afford to lose because this is cryptocurrency, guys. This is the wild, wild west. That's my personal opinion, but you never know. Are you ready to turbocharge your financial IQ? Hey, friends, my name is Murray Miller, and I want to welcome you and your family to the Family Business Podcast, where every episode is designed to keep you focused and on track to live a life free of financial stress, worry, and fear. Would you like to know the exact powerful money strategies that not only our immediate family has implemented, but also our extended family of thousands and thousands of people around the world? Well, then let's get on with it and let's begin building a financial wall around your family. hi guys welcome back i'm excited as always to be back and i'm excited to bring you topics and ideas and concepts that you are asking me to talk about anything that has to do with financial and it has to do with residual and it has to do with building your financial future and building that financial wall around your family i want to talk about it so today we're going to talk about cryptocurrency you guys have been asking about it i've gotten dozens and dozens of Questions on it. I answer the questions as best I can through text messaging, direct mail, and phone calls, but I think it's worthy of an episode. So let's talk about cryptocurrency. Is it a scam? Is it legitimate? What just happened with this whole thing with FTX? We're gonna talk about all of it. I'm gonna go through the definitions of cryptocurrency from a textbook standpoint. Then I'm gonna talk about the real world and I'm gonna talk about some of my opinions, what I'm personally doing myself. So you can make some decisions for yourself whether this is something that you wanna pursue in the future. So let's go right in. Cryptocurrency, what is it? It is a digital currency. That means it exists only in the digital world it relies on something called cryptography and blockchain technology. So in basic terms, cryptography is the process of hiding or coding information so that the person that is sending the message will get it to the person that it's intended to get and only that person can read it, if that makes sense. Very basic description. Blockchain technology is basically a form of data processing and storage. The key difference between a typical database and a blockchain is how the data is structured. So a blockchain collects information together in groups known as blocks that holds a set of information. So blocks have certain storage capacities and when filled, they're closed and then they're linked to the previous filled block and that's why they call it a blockchain. It's a chain of data that exists known as the blockchain. So. All new information that follows in a blockchain that is freshly added to a block, it's compiled in a newly formed block that will also be added to the chain once it's filled. So blockchain technology is utilized to secure, to facilitate, and to validate transactions. So together, between blockchain technology and cryptography, we've got cryptocurrency. Now, Bitcoin was the first decentralized digital currency. This was created by an anonymous developer using the alias Satoshi Nakamoto, way back in 2008. Um, Many of new cryptocurrencies have come along since, uh, actually hundreds, um, such as Ethereum and Litecoin and Dogecoin, just to name a few. And what I'll do is, with everything I'm talking about, I'll make sure I leave links in the description. So if you're interested in seeing a list of the various cryptocurrencies, you can do that. Now, I have to tell you, cryptocurrency is considered by many people to be among the most revolutionary financial technologies of the modern world. Uh, It's not tied to any particular country or organization or company, making it almost impossible to control. This also makes it volatile because its value is based on supply and demand and the coins are based on market trends. So it goes up and down the coins can be bought or traded on a digital currency exchange. We'll talk about that in a minute. Using traditional money such as dollars, and once you buy it and own it, these coins can be used to pay for goods and services or held as an investment to benefit from its potential appreciation. So to some degree, it works like a stock or a bond where you're buying and holding for future appreciation if that's the case. But it also has that dual purpose that it can be used as currency, and you can be buying goods and services with it, which separates it, Um, whereas with, you know, like a stock or a bond or a mutual fund, you'd have to actually liquidate it, and then you could use the money that from the liquidation when you turn it into your currency, which in the United States is dollars, and then you're making the purchase. So there is a distinct difference there. And I think originally this was definitely something that was supposed to become a currency more than it was a commodity to hold and then you know wait until it appreciates, and then maybe sell. Instead, it was supposed to be circulated into the economy and that jury is still not out yet. It's still something that I think is possible with this technology. So since these assets are digital, you would have to buy and sell them on a crypto exchange. And right now, there are over 250 crypto exchanges serving over 70 markets around the world as of the recording of this podcast. And again, I will leave links uh, so that you can go check out all the different crypto exchanges. I personally have used Um, about a half a dozen or so of these different exchanges. And I did that because I wanted to learn what they offered, what was good about it, what was bad about it, what I liked, what I didn't like. And then I settled in on the one that I felt most comfortable with that I'm dealing with on a regular basis. Now, you should do the same thing. See, I really don't want to say which one I'm using because I don't want to influence your decision Um, I would like you to be happy with your decision, and I'm I'm always happy to discuss the pros and cons, uh, and I can do that on a future episode. If if enough people wanna hear why I chose the exchange that I chose, I will do that. And it's not necessarily the exchange I'm gonna have forever. I mean, I've switched between Merrill Lynch and Morgan Stanley and Charles Schwab, and I do hold several different accounts in my exchanges that I use for stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, and EFTs. So the same thing holds true with cryptocurrencies. So the crypto exchanges are a very integral part of being involved in this marketplace. So it's something worth uh, investigating. So definitely check out the link that I leave. I'll leave a link from uh, Forbes magazine that has a list of all the top um, exchanges that are around. And I definitely think you should use one that is in your country um, because there's going to be regulation that is coming out and it's already coming out i should say and there's going to be more regulation coming and i think with that you want to make sure you're in line with what your particular country requires there's also another digital application that i want to mention it's called a wallet Um, and it is what it sounds like this is where you um, can hold your cryptocurrency and store it after you purchase it And there are things called hot wallets and cold wallets and basically what that refers to is whether it's online or offline Um, best practices that I have found is that when you purchase a crypto coin that you move it offline into a cold storage into a cold wallet for safekeeping which is Interesting because it's still digital, but you're the only one that actually has the key So think of it as you know There's a safe on the internet But no one can open the safe because you're the only one that holds that key So you you have a key that is on a separate device that you use in order to um, Access your cryptocurrency. I like that. I'll also list uh, some of the hot and cold wallets that are out there in the show notes So you can check that out personally I keep all of my crypto in a cold wallet and I usually transfer it anywhere from within a few minutes of buying it to a few days, depending on the terms of the exchange that I'm using. So keep in mind that you know every exchange has their different rules and regulations. One of the more attractive features that I have found in cryptocurrency is that underlying infrastructure because of its efficiency and transparency, which I just explained is the blockchain technology this technology is gonna verify and record every cryptocurrency transaction on its network. And this eliminates the need for a third party, such as a bank, so this will ensure its legitimacy. The technology also provides a secure environment for financial activity, so as it is decentralized, and at this time, it's considered almost unhackable. Um, And I say almost because you just don't know until you know, but it's really, really secure. As secure as we can possibly imagine in today's day and age with everything that happens in the digital world. So cryptocurrency has become popular because it gives users access to a convenient and secure way to transact money. Although it carries that level of risk that we talked about because of the potential price volatility and the fact that there's no one to call or email if there's a question or an issue because it's run literally by thousands of servers across the globe. And even with that, more and more people are still taking the plunge due to the potential for appreciation and to avoid dealing with centralized organizations for all of their financial activities, especially in light of the impending rollout of CBDCs. I'm gonna talk about this in just a second cbdc's are happening as we speak and i'll go through what that means and and how that's going to affect you in the future however in light of all this excitement there comes some darkness and as oftentimes (laughs) in life there's always something there's there's bad actors and everything and let's just discuss this because it's important we get it out there just a few months ago in november A large crypto exchange called FTX was founded in, I believe it was May of 2019. It just filed for bankruptcy and unfortunately a lot of people lost a lot of money. The company was founded and run by a young man named Sam Bankman-Fried. His name's kind of become synonymous with, um, you know, the whole crypto market right now. And he was at one time, he was being dubbed as like this, the new Warren Buffett. You know, he was on the cover of Forbes and Fortune, and this guy's brilliant. As it turns out, at the very minimum... There was some very sloppy bookkeeping and accounting taking place with everything that he had created, although it was great. And, you know, it's now being investigated for fraud and everything else that can possibly have gone wrong with it. But the consequences of this rapid decline and collapse likely will affect cryptocurrencies well into the future. And it could drag down broader markets as well this is clearly demonstrating arguments for regulation because no one saw this coming you know this was something that you know was one of the largest crypto exchanges on the planet and now it's gone you know just just 10 days it went from everything to nothing so we have to know that there is potential volatility and it it wakes us up to the fact that there are humans behind all this digital currency in the world of uh, stocks and bonds and ETFs and mutual funds, this wouldn't have been such a big deal if a company the size of this company, which was carrying somewhere around $8 billion, um, was to go bankrupt. And that may sound crazy because $8 billion sounds like just a ton of money, but when you look at brokerage firms like Merrill Lynch or Charles Schwab, that are managing between three and a half and seven trillion dollars respectively, which is obviously mammoth. Um, this is not as big as you know what it could have been if it had gone longer. So this exposed some things that we actually needed to have exposed so that we could fix them. Cryptocurrency is brand new. I mean, it started in 2008. I said way back in 2008 when I started this podcast, but man, that, that's not that long ago when it comes to money, right? How long has money been around and we've been using it to trade for goods and services? Nonetheless, FTX filing for bankruptcy is a wake up call for the crypto industry. Because one reassuring thought that I have is that when I do business with a brokerage firm and you know, I'm doing my 401k or my IRA or anything like that, I know that this brokerage firm is under the watchful eye of the government and the regulations that the government puts on it with my funds, so any investor feels comfortable with that. There are many regulations, not to mention uh, regulatory agencies, that are intended to reduce the risk of brokerage failure. That would be uh, organizations such as FINRA and the SEC and the SIPC which all have varying degrees of protection set up to help us in the case of insolvency. For example, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, has something called the Customer Protection Rule, which requires firms to segregate client assets from firm assets. Assessing the money in client accounts would be committing fraud. Another SEC regulation called the Net Capital Rule says that firms must keep a minimum amount of liquid assets depending on their size. FINRA, which is the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, regulates and monitors firms for compliance with these and other regulations. The Securities Investors Protection Corporation, the SIPC, protects clients' cash and securities such as stocks and bonds that are held in brokerage firms that are having financial trouble. The SIPC will protect up to a half a million dollars in cash and securities and up to $250,000 in cash. These are really good things for the average person to have as a backup if something happens and a firm mismanages their accounting and their funds or commits fraud because they're gonna be caught and it's gonna be covered. In addition, many firms have their own supplemental insurance as well because they want to be competitive and they want to cover themselves, which covers us and in, in, in covers client assets in the event of financial failings. So regardless, since we know from history it can happen, as evidenced by firms like Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns, these are giant companies that went bankrupt, it's times like this where these regulations provide a much needed safety net for the investing public. And your priority, is to be a diligent investor. You know, No one is ever going to care more about your financial health or security more than you do. And it's always your job to do your own due diligence with your own money, whether it's in a bank, a brokerage, or a crypto exchange. You want to make sure you know what the rules are. You know how to get your money out if you need to get it out. And I think probably the best advice, and a lot of sophisticated investors will still tell you this, you don't want to invest money that you can't afford to lose especially in something like a cryptocurrency so keep that in mind as you move into this world of cryptocurrency and whatever is next here in the united states we already have proposed regulations for crypto exchanges to help to protect consumers um, when you open an account with one of these firms in the u.s be prepared to provide a copy of your driver's license or passport your social security number a picture of yourself Uh, your bank account information to me this just automatically gave it a feel of legitimacy because i know that you know obviously if i make a profit in the crypto world the government would like to get paid taxes money on that right so they're trying to regulate this as quickly as possible and they're succeeding there is a growing number of lawyers and financial professionals that see even more crypto regulation coming in 2023, because the industry is still in need of more safety measures and ultimately more trust. So it's interesting to say that despite um, an uneven year in the crypto market and the whole debacle with the FTX bankruptcy. Many people are still undeterred and are just bullish on the long-term health of this sector and say that the legal frameworks in 2023 could further build and restore trust in the industry after an unprecedented negligent mismanagement and ensuing bankruptcy of the FTX crypto exchange. So yes, not only is uh, cryptocurrency exchanges legal in the United States, they actually fall under a regulatory scope of the Bank Secrecy Act, which is BSA. Um, In practice, what this means is that cryptocurrency exchanges, they're service providers and they must register with the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, which is called FinCEN, and they must implement anti-money laundering programs, which is tasked with the compliance involved in four main activities. And that includes internal controls, customer due diligence, surveillance, record keeping, and reporting suspicious activities and submitting those reports to authorities. So we're already seeing regulations and it's my belief that more is imminent. So I do see this becoming more mainstream in 2023 in terms of consumer safety. However, that is not the only concern, Um, as many governments have another concern regarding cryptocurrencies, which is the potential for illegal or criminal use. Because of its decentralized foundation, and therefore the potential for anonymous user ability, it is concerning that if additional safeguards are not set up, it could be used for illegal purposes. Governments are well aware of the potential pitfalls, and therefore legislation is being developed and implemented in many countries to provide guardrails and to essentially keep this new financial currency from being completely misused. Um, To me, it's similar to the battle that is being fought with our current form of currency, the fiat currency system, which also has varying degrees of illegal misuse, as we are all aware of. This leads me um, to talk a little bit more about CBDC. CBDC, which stands for Central Bank Digital Currency, is a digital form of money issued by a central bank, not decentralized. It is a digital representation of a country's fiat currency, such as the U.S. dollar, and it can be used for payments, investments, and other financial transactions. Now, legislation has been written and passed in numerous countries and even in motion here in the United States. This is a rather controversial topic, to say the least, because of the potential control a government can have on the money system, um, being able to track all transactions from companies and individuals. So it's going to take some time to play out, but it's going to be interesting to listen to the arguments on both sides of this technology. The bottom line is it is happening in one form or another around the world and it's going to change the way our money system is used rather drastically. So let me take just two seconds to back up and make sure we're all on the same page. CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency, is not cryptocurrency, which is what we're talking about today, but it is digital currency because CBDC is done through a centralized bank, through a government. And that is happening. So our money is going digital one way or the other. I just want you to be aware of that. And I talked about the fiat system. Let me just give you a brief history on that, just because I think it's important to understand where we are going from where we are right now. Fiat currency is the currency that we now use as legal tender. It's tendered by a government, but it's not backed by a physical commodity. It has no intrinsic value, and it's not backed by reserves. Fiat money gives central banks greater control over the economy because they can control how much money is printed. That's our current system. In the beginning, um, precious metals like gold and silver were used to buy and sell goods and services, but then eventually we grew a little weary of lugging around those chunks of metal and decided to substitute pieces of paper with a face value equal to the amount of gold kept in an issuing bank or government. The theory was that any citizen at any time could decide on a whim to walk into a bank and get the gold equivalent of the paper that they had in their hand on demand and they could make that exchange like that. This was called being part of the gold standard It didn't take long for our leaders to figure out that we didn't need to keep all that gold in reserve because it was a hassle, and people would spend money just as readily even if there wasn't a vault full of gold somewhere guaranteeing that their paper had value. Thus, the fiat currency was born. In 1933, FDR began fiddling with the gold reserve requirements. He suspended the gold standard except for foreign exchange, revoked it as the universal legal tender for debts, and banned private ownership of any significant amounts of gold coins. Interesting, right? These were all partial measures that set the trend in motion for separating our currency from gold. The final move to turn the US dollar into a complete fiat currency was made by President Nixon in 1971 when he canceled the direct convertibility of the US dollar into gold. So there you have it. We're pretty sure though the Federal Reserve had been playing fast and loose with the gold requirements ever since its formation in 1913, but after this move by Nixon, there was no longer any necessity in keeping up the pretense. We've been driving down the value of the dollar with uncontrolled printing and simultaneously increasing inflation ever since. So. CBDCs are designed to provide a secure, efficient, and cost-effective way to transfer funds and store value. They are also intended to provide more efficient and cost-effective alternatives to traditional payment methods such as cash and checks. This is happening as we speak. And just so we're all on the same page, the textbook definition of decentralization is the process of disturbing or dispersing functions, powers, people, or things away from a central location or authority. In a decentralized system, the authority and responsibility for decision-making is spread out among several parts. So that being the case, decentralized currency is a type of digital currency that is not controlled by a central authority or government. It's created, distributed, and managed by a network of computers that use cryptography to secure and verify transactions, just what I had explained to you. So examples, again, of these decentralized currencies started with Bitcoin, Ethereum, and many, many others, which we're gonna talk about another one in just a second. So in the meantime, let's get back to Bitcoin. Without a central bank or a single administrator that can be sent from user to user on a peer-to-peer Bitcoin network without the need for intermediaries, that's decentralized. So the transactions are verified by network nodes, which is just physical devices, through cryptography and recorded in a public distributed ledger called a blockchain. That brings it all home for you, right? Bitcoin was the first cryptocurrency ever created and has since gained popularity due to its decentralized nature and its ability to be used as a medium of exchange. Now, listen to this. This is crazy. The price of Bitcoin has been volatile since its inception, but it has had steady increases of value over the past few years. According to CoinMarketCap, the price of Bitcoin has increased from less than 0.003, so not even a penny, in 2010, to over $60,000 for one coin in March of 2021. If you started buying Bitcoin back in 2010, 11, 12, 13, or even 16, 17, 18, 19, um, you saw such a huge increase. This is where there have been countless Bitcoin millionaires that have come out of this. And that's assuming that they took their Bitcoin and they cashed out, or at least cashed out part of it. Because what happened is when the economy tanked in the United States due to the pandemic, due to inflation, due to all the other things that happened in 2021 and 2022, we saw Bitcoin go into a rapid decline all the way down to, I think it was $11,000 a coin. And now it's back up again to about 20000 a coin as of the recording of this podcast. Right now, the future of Bitcoin is obviously uncertain, but many experts believe that it will continue to increase in value over time and become a very prominent form of money exchanging hands from one person to another. It is, (laughs) even though it's only been since 2008, it is the granddaddy of all cryptocurrencies at this point. I would be remiss not to talk about Ethereum because Ethereum, is sort of a second-runner, and it's a different type of cryptocurrency. It has different properties, and it's used for different purposes. Different from Bitcoin, Ethereum is an open-source, public, blockchain-based distributed computing platform and an operating system which features smart contracts functionality, which is much different than Bitcoin. So Bitcoin and Ethereum are both cryptocurrencies, but they have different purposes. Bitcoin is used primarily as a digital currency, while Ethereum is a platform for creating decentralized applications and smart contracts. Ethereum also has its own cryptocurrency, which is called Ether. There are literally over 5,000 different cryptocurrencies currently in circulation. I'm watching one particular company right now And for transparency purposes, I want you to know that I do own Bitcoin and I do own Ethereum. And I continue to deepen my stake in both of these by purchasing on a consistent basis and taking advantage of dollar cost averaging. I also started buying the next coin that I'm going to introduce to you. There is a company out of San Francisco, California called Ripple Labs. And basically um, what Ripple Labs does is they created a real-time gross settlement system. So their mission is to enable secure, instant, and nearly free global financial transactions of any size with no chargebacks. This is unique. Ripple is built on a distributed open source protocol and it supports tokens representing fiat currency, cryptocurrency, commodities, and other units of value, such as frequent flyer miles and mobile minutes. It's very unique. I I haven't seen anything like this. Um, I was introduced to this company probably, I don't know, maybe it was four or five months ago, and I started doing my research on it. I became a little bit enamored with what they were able to do. So I started following some of the people that were blogging about it and were podcasting about it and YouTubing about it and I like it I mean I think that it's got something that is rather unique Um, They have their own token on the crypto exchanges called XRP. XRP was created um, by Ripple Labs. It's the third largest cryptocurrency by market capitalization right after Bitcoin and Ethereum. And it's used to facilitate transactions between different currencies, including fiat currencies and other cryptocurrencies. So let me give you some examples of how XRP works in the real world. And this was what was attractive to me because it had real world applications. Ripple Labs technology is used by banks, it's used by financial institutions, and it facilitates those cross-border payments, international payments. For example, Santander Bank of the UK uses Ripple technology to enable customers to make international payments in seconds rather than days. Ripple Labs technology is also used by companies to facilitate payments between customers and suppliers. For example, Microsoft uses Ripple's technology to enable customers to pay pay for their products or services in real time. Ripple's technology is also used by companies to facilitate payments between customers and merchants. For example, Amazon uses Ripple's technology to enable customers to pay for their purchases in real time. Another example of a company that might want to use XRP's technology is a company like Uber which is an international company that has I don't know how many thousands of independent contractors that work for the company and when they complete um, a job, a ride and the person leaves their car they would love to get paid right away. They don't want to have to wait an hour, a week, or days, whatever it may take for that to get transferred over to them because of the way the banking system is currently set up. What if um, they use this ripple technology with XRP and they were able to get paid within seconds after their ride had completed? I can see where that application would be very, very positive for a company like that. And there are many more um, examples that I could use, but I'm just using that for most people understand what, uh, what Uber is and, and how Uber works and how their independent, independent contractors get paid. So compared to existing banking transactions, XRP technology offers faster transaction times, lower fees, improved security, all the things that you would want in order for technology to really uh, be adopted on an on a international scale around the globe. The transactions, as I said, they're settled in seconds compared to days or weeks, um, which is traditionally the way that it works in the banking systems. Uh, Additionally, XRP technology does not require a third-party intermediary, which reduces the risk of fraud and eliminates the need for costly um, middlemen. Ripple has been around since 2012. It was founded by uh, a gentleman named Chris Larson and Jed McCaleb. They have currently over 500 employees. Like I said, they're located in San Francisco. And because banks are known for their slow and expensive transactions, this global settlement network has been specifically designed to solve these problems and provide cheaper, faster, friction-free payment systems. Although um, Ripple's current sales volume is not publicly available, the company's mission is to enable the world to move value like information moves today. Ripple provides this global real-time payment system that allows banks and financial institutions to securely transfer money end-to-end. I don't know what Ripple's current sales volume is because it's not publicly available, but I know that um, from reading their website, which I'll leave a link for that, that their company's mission is to enable the world to move more value like information moves today. Um, Ripple provides this global real-time payment system that allows banks and financial institutions in governments to securely transfer money from end to end with tracking. So Ripple's technology is based on that distributor ledger system, which allows for faster, more secure and more cost-effective payments. So to me, XRP is vastly different than Bitcoin or Ether because it's a company with employees and it has tangible technology service just like um, you know, a Coca-Cola or a Tesla. They're two companies, two excellent companies, but they're two very different companies. They both uh, offer the public an opportunity to buy shares of their company. And in this crude example I'm giving you right now, they are vastly different in functionality. Um, in the cryptocurrency world, I think the same thing is applicable. They offer the opportunity to buy their coins but they're completely different uh, functions and companies. Does that make sense? Hopefully that does. So those are all the things I like about Ripple. Now let me tell you what I don't like. (laughs) We have to talk about Ripple and the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission because again, with light, there comes some darkness. And in December of 2020, the SEC filed a lawsuit against Ripple Labs alleging that the company had sold XRP as an unregistered security. So, the lawsuit is ongoing and the outcome is uncertain and the lawsuit claims that Ripple raised over $1.3 billion through the sale of XRP tokens, which people purchased uh, from cryptocurrency uh, exchanges, without registering them as securities with the Securities and Exchange Commission here in the United States. Now, Ripple's legal team has argued that XRP is not a security and should not be subject to the same regulations as other securities. But since the lawsuit, XRP has gone from a high price of, I think it was around $3.37 a coin in January of 2018, um, as low as... 10 cents. So it's been, you know, up and it's been down. And the lawsuit, of course, hasn't helped any of that. It actually plummeted after the lawsuit was filed. And as of the recording of this podcast, the XRP coin is sitting at about 38 cents. So it's gone up significantly since it's low, but it still has a long way to go if this is going to take off the way that some speculators thinks that it will. Now, The lawsuit, um, if it has a favorable outcome for Ripple, I think you'll see a spike in the price. And adversely, if it's a negative judgment, which could very well happen, it could drive the price down again. So um, here's my personal take. I think that the company is gonna be fine and that XRP token price is going to eventually stabilize with the technology being um, utilized by the world. In the end, I think that their technology is solid and that that will surpass the market volatility that is going on because of the current lawsuit with the SEC. And this is the point where I have to be clear, and I want to state this for the record that I am not on this podcast giving you or anyone investment advice. I'm simply explaining what I have learned and what I have read and what I'm saying here is all my personal opinion and should not be used as investment advice. You need to do your own due diligence. I will include links in the show notes so that you can connect to the information, educate yourself, do your own due diligence, form your own judgment so you can have your independent research done before you decide whether or not this is something that you might consider investing in. And again. Don't invest money you can't afford to lose because this is cryptocurrency, guys. This is the wild, wild west. That's my personal opinion, but you never know. Some people think it's a complete scam and that it's not going to be around, and other people think just the opposite, that it's going to take over. So in conclusion, I personally don't believe cryptocurrency is a scam, and I do believe there's an opportunity. However. There are and will continue to be bad actors that will try to take advantage of innocent people. If you want to invest, you need to learn. You need to do your research. You need to proceed with caution. I hope I helped you learn and perhaps get even more excited about what's happening in the new digital world today. Let me know via DM or text uh, what you plan to do. And if you have Uh, Any other questions or you'd like me to introduce you to new companies in the future and opportunities like I did here today so I can do some research on it for you. So that's going to be it for today. Until next time, we will see you on the other side. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Family Business Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about how you can join our growing family and begin implementing the success principles to building a financial wall around your family, you can go to the familybusiness.info forward slash call and you can schedule a call with us because we have saved a spot at the table for you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your family and the people that you care about. And we would love it if you would take a second to give us a five-star review to help future family members just like you find us i leave you with this in life you don't get what you deserve you get what you believe plan and expect let's do this